0: Thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Um, It cost me five Kenya shillings to get that introduction. That's what I paid him. So thanks. You did a good job. Um, I'm glad to be here. It's my honor and privilege to be here with you. Um, As you heard, um, I'm from born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. So as I speak, you will realize that most of you have an accent. (laughs) Because that's what it's, you sound like me. When, when I talk. So um, I hope you bear with me and excuse me. Um, I've been here in um, this church for the last six years. Um, I've been on staff. My role is global engagement, out, global outreach. Um, I've been uh, doing that for the last six years. I found this place. I came to this place. I was invited to this place because I did not want to come at the first place. I was thinking, wow, this place, these people doesn't don't look like me. They don't sound like me. I don't worship like them, and how can I fit in? And God has continued to surprise me by His grace uh, through friends, through relationships, uh, deep, meaningful relationships. Um, um, God surprised me with a wife. I never thought I'd find a wife here in America, but God did. Um, shockingly, it was a blue-eyed blonde from South Dakota. <laughs> I know. There she is. That's us in Kenya where we're overlooking this valley, and I, that's the time I made that decision. Wow, well, I'm going to marry this girl. And um, surprisingly, she said yes. And then our worlds collided um, about a year ago, when out of us came this little thing. And um, <laughs> I know, it's, it's a little Kenda Koshan. That's what you get when you mix a Kenyan and a South Dakota. you get a Kenda Koshan and it has it's white, and it has blue eyes, and it's blonde. And I'm going, Lord, really? I thought I was coming so that I can get people who look like me. And now, look, even my own seat does not look like me. I'm still asking questions. So, But it has been a blessing um, to be. And I, one of the things I love that Jordan said it, he said, you guys are a family. And I Feel that. I walk into a family, and some of you might remember, a handful of you might remember, I came to the other uh, venue where you are, and at one time, God gave me a clear word for you, and he said, he told me to tell you, and I had not planned this, he said, be not afraid, ye of little flock, for it's a father's will to give you the kingdom. And I said that, that was a few years ago, and I look now, and I'm thinking, this is the culmination of that family, and it's only growing bigger. But here's the news, you ain't seen nothing yet. Put HB on notice, we're here. And God is going to use you people to change not only this place, to change the environments, to change out uh, even beyond the global world. So I love you and I love being here. And I love um, um, Caleb and Hillary. They're such good friends of mine. And I've just come to realize that Jack is going to be my son in law. So <laughs> Gage had better work something, you know? And um, since he's going to be my son in law, he has to pay dowry and he pay in cows. We pay for women in cows. <laughs> So pray for Jack as he works hard to raise those cows. And um, so, but I'm glad to be here. You see, being a Kenyan, I'll invite you to be free. Is that okay? Yeah. Amen. I don't, you know, we don't do the uptight stuff. We are not regimented. We're not planned. We don't have time for us. We always say the Americans have the clock. We Kenyans have the time. So this service could go on for six hours. That's all right. You know? So we're not regimented. Somebody's looking at me. Gosh, Christian, get out of here, you know? But turn to your neighbor and tell them, be free. Free. Tell them, be free. Actually, give them a fist bump like this and tell them, gotations, Joe. Tell them, gotations, Joe. That just means, what's up? Um, And if you guys are not careful, if you're not very free, I'm going to go all African on you. You know? (laughs) You know? I might start hooping. Do people in Orange County in California know what hooping is? You guys don't even understand. Hooping... It's when a, a black preacher gets crazy and he goes like, the glory of God is here. He brought Gilligan from the island. Huh? If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> there you go. I'll start hooping if you guys are not careful. So, track with me, keep, keep it light and enjoy yourselves. And uh, we're going to have a wonderful time. We're in this um, series that we've been taken from the Bible series that we were watching And one of the things that we realized um, while watching this Bible series, people are actually curious. And they voted by seeing and watching. They broke numbers uh, with how much people are watching. And if there's something that we learned from the Bible series is that people are curious to know whether this Bible is actually true. Whether Jesus is really real. Because if he is, then he warrants our attention. If he's not, then he's the biggest phony ever told. And you see, what Caleb and John have been doing is walking us through the life of Jesus through the Bible series, and we've started from the beginning. And one of the things that we got to hear from Caleb is about Jesus having going through temptations and how he overcame that through the Word of God. And then John comes and tells us, he, works, he, worked, he, he, he was here last weekend, and what he helped us understand is that do we want healing. We went through the miracles of Jesus, and he's asking, do you want to get well? And some of you actually stood up courageously and said, I do want to get well. And I pray that you continue in your healing. Today, we're going to look at something, as we're looking at this, continuing in this series, we're going to look at something that is actually a little shocking and may take you aback for a moment. And here's why. We've seen Jesus do great things. Today, we're going to see Jesus be scared and distressed and di- in, in a difficulty and in need. And this is shocking for us because we don't know this side of Jesus, but he's actually more relatable than we actually think. You see, we're going to look at that. But before we go there, here's a question for you. Think with me for a minute. I said you guys, I want you guys to play. So think of this with me for a minute. What do people in today's culture, in society, look for for fulfillment? What do people look for for fulfillment? Shout them out. Money, sex, prestige, prestige, power, Entertainment. entertainment. Fun, you know, that's what we look for in culture. That's what our culture is looking for. That's where you find fulfillment. Now, that's culture. When we come to the church, what are we looking to get from Jesus? What are some of the things we're looking to get from Jesus? Healing, yes. Love, peace. Yeah, and all these things. And we've actually even sometimes created this myth that Jesus... We want a superhero Jesus. We want a Jesus that we can do abracadabra, voila, and things happen. We want a Jesus that the famous theologian Christina Aguilera says, a genie in a bottle. <laughs> you know, that's, what the, that's a Jesus we want. We want to rub his belly, and voila, something comes out, Our healing comes out. That's the kind of Jesus that we are looking to have. But today, we're going to see something that is going to be a little a little shocking for us. You see, ancient studies have shown that there are three things that people are looking for in fulfillment. We're looking for sex, we're looking for wealth, we're looking for power. And Jesus, at this particular time, we see Jesus not being able to give us the things that we desire, like peace and joy and all this. We see a Jesus who's in a place where he's vulnerable and weak. And he's in need. And you go like, is this what is this what Jesus wants us to be? You see, in this text, Jesus is not trying to make a point. He's not trying to be Jesus the teacher. He's actually Jesus stressed out. That's what we get to see. As we look, there's a story of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you're like me, you see Jesus walking away and going to pray, and you're wondering, well, did Jesus really need to pray? You know? Is it isn't that kind of like he's cheating? You know? It doesn't he you know the answer is gonna be yes? If you're asking for something from yourself, wouldn't you just usually say yes? You know, does he pray and say, in my name I pray, you know? So, but at this time, at the garden, Jesus does not have privilege. He's actually in need. So, he's in a place of a storm that he wants so desperately to change. Um, it is not what you expect. But in this request, as you look at Jesus in the garden, something changes. Something so subtle, but so big. And this is what I want To uh, um, uh, talk talk about today, you see, I believe that God has brought me here today to talk to some of you who may be going through some deep storms and some deep challenges. There's some people who may have gone belly up because of the financial upheaval that we went through. There's a marriage or relationship that is um, in turmoil. There is some people here who are having a challenge with a boss. You're having a problem with your boss. There's somebody here who's looking at going into college and it's seeming um, more and more bleak. I believe that God is going to speak to you today. He's going to transform you. But the way he transforms you is not what you expect. It's not how you may even think of it. It may not even be what you want. And we're going to see that by looking at the picture of Jesus. I actually believe that there's somebody right here, mom who's, who should call, who today will need to call your son and tell them that you love them. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But there's a mom in this room right now who needs to call their son and say, son, I love you, because this is the invitation that God is calling you to. It's a real-time thing that is happening right now. So I don't know who you are, but that's what we're going we're gonna to walk through these challenges. So what I want you to do this, this morning for me, would you think about the situation that you're struggling? Is there a situation in your life right now that you'd want to change? And as we walk through the life of Jesus, I want you to think and see how Jesus navigates his and then see the invitation that we have for you to be able to walk in the same place. Amen? Amen. So, look at what it says, and we're going to read together. We're going to read Mark chapter 14, verse 32. We're going to read. Let me read, and then just follow along. Then, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Now. Gethsemane was not just an ordinary place. It was a place by Mount Olives. And this is a place that Jesus went over and over again. This is the place that he went before he went to call the disciples. It's a place that he went for the transfiguration. It is a place where he actually ascended. So it's not just some random place. That's how Judas knows that he's at this place. It's a place he went often and often. And Jesus said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. Notice he's telling them, sit here. It's not like, now sit, let me talk to you. It's sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter and James along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He is Jesus human. Deeply stressed and human. And it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. My soul is distressed to the point of death. Some of you, the challenges that you might be going today may be taking you to that place of deep pain and deep sorrow. But Jesus pain and sorrow is almost the point of death. And he tells them keep watch. When you tell people to keep watch, you're telling them to keep watch because you're scared, because there's danger. This is Jesus, God incarnate, telling people to watch out because he is scared. You see, Jesus is so distressed and in fear and overwhelmed that, of the imminent danger, that he actually gets to sweat drops of blood. Now, history, uh, science shows us that there's actually a condition. I, I, I looked it up and it's, it's called hematidrosis where you can actually get to a point, point where when you're in extreme pain or anguish where once capillary blood vessels dilate and burst, and they sweat blood. I don't know if any of you are in the point where the struggles have taken you to this point, but this is deep sorrow, deep pain. This is Jesus. You may have wondered, does Jesus ever, can he relate to who I am? Well, he is Jesus stressed to the point of death. He's in sorrow. He's not superhuman Jesus. He is Jesus who is vulnerable. And you see, he's being pulled to something he does not want to face. Something that he does not want to follow through. I don't know if you guys have heard this, this phrase. And this is a phrase that maybe we should ban in the church. It says, people always go and say, I don't have a peace about that. There was no peace about anything that Jesus was going through. You know, sometimes you may not have a peace about some things that you're going through. Jesus surely did not have a peace about this, but this is where he finds himself. And look at what it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 35. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground. Note, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass, this hour of loneliness, this hour of betrayal, this hour of being left helpless uh, from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Yet, not what I will, but your will. He is crying out and saying, Abba, Father, have mercy on me. Now, if you're a parent like I you would understand this because we get to take our little baby to take shots. And when we get there, my wife, Delta, kind of tells me, hey, you hold her as she's getting the shots. as if to tell me it's your choice and not mine. And so I hold this little baby and the nurse comes and is taking, giving this little, look at that little thing, just beautiful little thing, giving, you know, getting a shot. And I can see in Kabi's eyes, she's like, daddy, you're big, you're great. You're like 300 pounds and this lady is 100 pounds. Please stop her. Please stop her. And I cannot do anything. I just watch. That gives us a glimpse of what is going through Jesus at that particular moment. He is saying, Daddy, I know there's another way. I know you're big. I know you're great. You're large and you're in charge. Please take away this cup from me. Please stop it. I don't want to go through what I'm going through. You see, if you're a skeptic, you will think of it this way. You've seen Jesus model prayer. And he says when you pray to him, when you pray go out and ask and tell him, God, you're great. God, you're good. God, you're gracious. And then you don't just ask things. You just go to him and adore him. But here, Jesus is actually doing the opposite. And so you'd have a conversation with him, hey, JC, what's up? Why are you coming up here and just, you're now crying and saying, take away this cup from me. I believe that there's some of you who are just saying, who are going through some deep struggles, some deep storms that would say, Jesus, would you take this away from me? You see, in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, it says, Father, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. Yet not I want, but your will be done. You see, there's a conflict going on into Jesus. He can relate with us when we're going through the storm. You see, Jesus had seen the crucifixion. He had seen people crucified. He knew what pain was in store. You see, Jesus had gone through, he, had, he knew the plan. He knew the plan, he knew how he was, he knew everything. But at this particular moment, he's asking, is there a way that this plan could stop? The plan is now getting real. Things are going to happen right now. Plan gone wild. Things are going to happen. And he's going there like, Father, have mercy on me. Would you change this? But he says, not my will, but your will. What is the thing that you're facing right now that you're asking for another way out? What is the thing that you're facing right now, that you're asking for another way out? Mark chapter 14, verse 37 to 38, it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he goes back to them, and he knows something they do not know. He knows that they'll go through massive and terrible temptation. And he knows that he's going to be the example that they're going to follow. And so he stands out and tells them, watch and pray. But they do not even get it. They do not understand. But as they watch Jesus go through his trial and his challenge, their strength is so renewed that we know that from, from history that how they all died very gruesome deaths. But here's the thing. The disciples went through severe testing Before, they were transformed from hesitant followers to dynamic leaders. Can somebody say, so good? Say, so good. That's the way the young people have taught us. We don't say amen anymore. We just say, so good. (laughs) The disciples were transformed through suffering, were transformed from hesitant followers to dynamic leaders. I believe that God is in the business of doing that today. He's going to transform you like he did with them. He set an example for them. They set an example for us. And we are here then to be able to set an example. In situations of intense struggle, we are tempted to always find an easy way out or to justify what is not right. Where is it that you're being tempted? Where is it that you're opting to take the easy way out? For me, it was the whole idea of identity, having just struggled with who I am. And the temptation was to escape. My numbing was escape where I felt like I cannot have real, true relationships because I wondered, would somebody fully love me if they fully knew me? So I'd hide. And I even kept away from healthy relationships like a marriage because I never thought there was somebody who would ever know me and love me as I am. That was my hiding. That was my numbing. What is it for you? Where is it that you're escaping? Where is it that you're trying to go away from the reality because the reality is so harsh? You see, Mark chapter 14 verse 39 says, once more he went away and prayed and, said this, uh, prayed and said the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. A second time he comes in, they're still sleeping. And so he goes back and he's praying. But then here's what I want, to, what I want you guys to hold on to. Mark chapter 14 verse 41 to 42, it says, Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Here comes my betrayer. Now, here we see a subtle but very important change. Here is where it all lies. We've seen him come to the disciples twice. He's telling them to keep watching, to pray. But then all of a sudden, he comes and says, look, enough, get up, let's go. And do you catch what has just happened? Just one side, we have Jesus so vulnerable and weak. Then all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he's going like, enough. And you see what he does is that Jesus moves from intense struggle, walking straight into danger. He says, let's go. It's kind of like he was telling Judas and the guys who had come to arrest him, Bring it on. I'm ready. How does Jesus move from a place of intense difficulty and need and challenge into all of a sudden asking and looking and saying, I'm going straight into these guys who are coming to get me? And look at, so here's a question What is it that you want? Who is it that you want? Do you want the Jesus who's able to take away all your problems? Or do you want this Jesus who stands up and says, bring it on? And look what it says in in John chapter 18, verse 2 to 8. It says, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding the detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and asked, who is it that you want? The question that I'm asking you. Jesus of Nazareth replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judah, standing with the traitor was, traitor, was standing with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, this is where some of the Pentecostal charismatic movements find their falling back on. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth said, Jesus answered and told, and told them, I am he. If you're looking for me, then let this man go. Jesus, after intense struggle, intense pain, kind of stands up and says, I am he. Where have you had that before? In Genesis, when he introduces himself to Moses and he introduces himself, he says, I am whom I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is who now Jesus is declaring who he is. Now, this Jesus is not attractive to many of us. Because this Jesus who says, we want a Jesus who's able to stand up and fight and deliver us. But we don't want a Jesus who just says, I am who I am. N.T. Wright says this, there's a, there's a tale of two gardens. In the first garden, the Garden of Eden, we see God searching for a sinful man. But here, sinful man is searching for God. I am who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am your protector. Jesus is declaring who he is. And you see, unfortunately, they miss it. The soldiers are looking for Jesus. They're looking for the right person for the wrong reasons. They don't understand his significance. They don't understand who he is. And then you know who else misses it? It's Peter. Because Peter, if you read on chapter 18 of, uh, of John, Peter comes in and he's trying to slash a guy's ear. And you wonder, where did Peter get a sword from? There's no time I remember looking and seeing Jesus saying, hey, pick up your swords, pick up your shields, and we're going out. But Peter wanted to control Jesus. He's not okay with a Jesus who says, bring it on. He's okay with a Jesus who will fight. He's okay with a militant Jesus, a superhero Jesus. But at this particular time, they're faced with a Jesus who declares who he is and faces danger and he walks straight into the cross so that you and I can be saved. You see, the soldiers and Peter missed it. Some of you maybe like the soldiers. We're asking for Jesus, but not for the right reasons. Some of us may be like Peter. We want a militant Jesus. We want a Jesus who will change our circumstances. That's what we're looking for. But you see, what we get to see here is that Jesus, being so distressed and overwhelmed, to the point of sweating blood, walked straight into the storm and he asked that he had asked his father to remove. Now, the outcome did not change. What do we we want? What do we most of us want? Including myself. In struggle, we don't pray for strength. We pray that the outcome be changed. And as you watch Jesus' posture in this, what if, what if God is interested more in about changing us than he is in changing our circumstances? What if what we wanted was the unexpected? Like Jesus, that God would change you What if God's priority is less about changing the circumstances and more about changing us? Remember the struggle I talked about in the beginning to hold on to? What if God is about changing you in the midst of that, then changing that circumstance? What if God is in the business of changing you through cancer, then he is then getting getting you healed from cancer, as hard and as harsh as that may sound? What if God wants to help you overcome that relationship by looking to him for strength? God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. What if God wants to help you through your circumstances, then just change it. You see, at this particular moment, there's a friend of ours who has a sister who's facing immortality. Anytime now. They're actually in a place right now. And the sister asked, She was asked, what do you want in your last days? And she said, I want to do Christmas in August. And why they said to do Christmas in August is because she wasn't to remember Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection because that's the hope that she's holding on to. She's not asking for a change of her circumstances. She so badly would want that. But what she's asking for is Christmas. You see, like this girl's story, I hope and I pray what I want for you is that you can hold on to God. You can hold on, lay hold to His strength. You can lay hold of His comfort. You can lay hold of His life. You see, God's greatest work happens in surrender. God's greatest work happens in surrender. In His book, A Renegade to um, um, A Renegade Guide to God, a guy, David Foster, tells this story of a father and a son who were great friends. And as they were great friends, the dad decided, you know, I'm going to spend time with my son. And what I'm going to do is that we're going to collect paintings. And so they collected paintings, of all the great paintings, Raphael, Michelangelo, Raphael, you know, all those things. But a little while later, his son, true story, the son was deployed to go to Vietnam. And the dad had said, you know, son, I can get you out of this. But he says, no, I'm going to go. I need to go and serve my country. Goes to Vietnam. And while in Vietnam, he's carrying a soldier on his back. And he's he shot and he's killed. When he's killed, the father gets a message that your son has died. And a little while later, a guy comes into his door and says, Sir, I want to give you something. I'm the soldier that your son saved when he was going in Vietnam. And he says, I tried to capture as best as I can a picture of your son, a portrait of your son, and here it is. And the father looks at the picture of the son and he's going like, Oh, my gosh, you've really captured the essence of who he is. And he says, Thank you. And so the father treasures and values that picture of his son. Because while it wasn't done by some great artist, it was done by somebody he saved. It was done while he was out giving his life. A little while later, the father dies. And when he dies, there's an auction for all his paintings. So the auctioneer comes up and says, we're going to to start the auction. And he first holds up. Here's a picture of the man's son. Anybody wants to take the picture of the son? picture of the sun going once, picture of the sun, and nobody says a thing. Then a small voice at the back says, $10. Um, says, okay, $10 going once, going twice, going thrice, done. But what he does next shocks everybody because the guy, the auctioneer comes and says, well, auction is over. He said the man, the old man had a will, had a, had a clause in his will that said, whoever buys a picture of the sun Gets, inherits everything else, all the other paintings. So the guy who was at the back was a soldier that had been saved, got the inheritance of everything else because of buying the picture of the sun. He knew the significance. Today, my friends, I'm holding up for you the picture of Jesus and saying the son, the son, the sun. sun. Or oh, Are we going to be caught up in our healing and in all those other things that we want? And instead of laying hold of his strength, laying hold of who God is. And I believe that God this morning would want to change you more than he's wanting to change your circumstances. And I do pray that he can change your circumstances. But what if your circumstances don't change? Would you be willing to hold up the picture of the son and say, I'm going to take that Jesus? Is this the Jesus we want? A Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the bread of life. Or do we want superhuman Jesus? You see, if you believed this, you would change the way we, ex- what we expect, would change the way we pray, would pray often, and then we would suddenly change our expectation. Here's what I want you to hold on to. If you forget everything else about this message, if somebody asks you, what did that crazy guy talk about? Here's what you can say. This message, it means surrender to God is not an act of weakness It is an acquisition of strength. Surrender to God is not an act of weakness. It is an acquisition of strength. And I pray for each and every one of you that today you can enter into that place where you can hold on to God's strength. You see, for guys, we think that surrender is weakness. No, it's not. God wants you to come to you in a struggle and pain and the storm so that he can redesign you for what he intended for you. You see, you will be tempted to take shortcuts. You will be tempted to move your situations. But today, we have an opportunity to enter into what God has called us to. To say, have your way. I trust in you. I'm going to put myself into your hands. You see, when you're in the lives of a lifesaver, you take on his strength. Will you today jump into the hands of Jesus And get into his strength and hold on to him more than you're interested in having your circumstances changed. In 1860, there was a guy, Charles Blondin, and this guy was a tightrope walker. He used to walk the tightropes and stuff. He walked across Niagara many times and he would come in and say, do you believe that I can walk across this? And people would go like, yeah, we believe. He gets up and he goes, do you believe I can take a wheelbarrow across this? Yes, we believe. And he takes it up and walks across. And then he says, do you believe I can take somebody on this wheelbarrow? He says, yes, we do believe. Then he says, would you care to be the, one, the first one to take a ride? And everybody backs away. Everybody backs away from that. But you see, he could take somebody right across that, and that's what Jesus is inviting us to. Do you believe that Jesus can give you the strength to go through things? I believe. So jump into the wheelbarrow. Would you jump into the wheelbarrow and let him walk you across? And today as we have communion, we're gonna, communion means being one with. I want you to, as you're having communion, picture yourself jumping into the wheelbarrow. And this is what I want you to say have your way, I trust you, take control of my life I want what you want from me remember that situation we talked about would you now just take it and put it in Jesus hands and say I'm doing a divine exchange and as you take communion this morning I'm going to ask you to hold the bread and hold the cup as it's passed around and I'm going to come back and we're going to do that But even before I do that, I just kind of get a sense that there are people in this room who've never jumped into the wheelbarrow for the first time. You've never said, Jesus, I believe in you. Or you've never declared it publicly. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that. I know it can feel weird. It can feel awkward. But here's the freedom. Jesus went through this for you. Surely we can stand up and make that bold declaration that I do believe in Jesus. And I'm saying, I'm jumping in. So here's your chance. If you've never said yes to Jesus, or if you're not sure, or if you want to just say, I want to rededicate myself to him, I want you to stand up at this moment in front of all these people and say, I believe. This is your moment. This is your time. Boldly, wherever you are, just stand up and say, I believe.